0: Coaching Inside the Bucks, a youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach Inside the Bucks? Episode 30 is going to be a great episode because Andy brought all of his murder mystery-solving notes with him. And so you thought we were talking football today. Philippe and I thought we were talking football today. We thought we might even be digging deep into the World Cup roster of Brazil. Turns out Andy is just trying to solve a murder mystery from Olathe, Kansas, with all
1: those blood-red notes that he brought today. Well, the the, the key to success is preparation, Right. <laughs> This is something as a player life. that you never did. I mean that's that's what you blasted the ball over the bar in the high school state final and your team lost. You know, I mean I spent hours
0: preparing for that final. And you did too for this murder mystery we're going to solve. If you're wondering what I'm talking about, ch- check out our socials, and you'll see a photo of Andy's murder mystery
1: solution. I think and if you, you go back a bit further, you'll see uh, how how bad Andrew's miss was in the <laughs> in the high school state <laughs> final. And that, bear, that clipped
2: the bar on its way over. <laughs> Which hey, bar? Uh, at least, at least you <laughs> the top of the <laughs> football goalposts. At least you <laughs> took the shot. You took the leadership.
0: You put yourself out there. You will notice in that clip, though, that I beat a guy with a crouch turn because you always
1: got to do a skill first before you shoot. Yep. The people in the space station see your shot every time they go, they go around the world. <laughs> the ball's still up there. In all seriousness, episode
0: thirty, we are here, we are back, we are excited. Um, I am wearing uh, the uh, the one of the new ugly USA World Cup kits because my excitement for the World Cup um, knows no bounds. Andy just mentioned, just kind of randomly, like I'm getting quite excited for this World Cup, kind of like an e or as Andy sometimes sounds. Philippe has just been going on and on and on on and on as we prepare to start recording this episode about the Brazilian um, uh, roster that just dropped yesterday. The excitement is is intense. It is thick, certainly in the coaching inside the box studio. Andy, Philippe, one question I have for each of you. We'll start with Philippe. Only just the answer. Who's going to win this World Cup? Brazil. Andy, who's going to win this
1: World Cup? If Brazil doesn't play Richarlison, in Brazil.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, crop a clip of only Richarlison scoring goals for Brazilian national team because he always scores he, that jersey, like Romário say, says that jersey for some people weighs 300 pounds not for Richarlison he puts it in and he feels like he's playing the streets like when he was a kid because he just has fun and scores goals So, Andy,
0: what did you say about Richarlison in terms of where you think he actually is from? The zoo, <laughs> No, sorry, <I've> <laughs> as we're talking about Richarlson, and Andy, he's like, There's no way that guy's Brazilian. I swear he must have English ancestry, he's not good enough to be Brazilian. <laughs> but he scored, as Philippe said, how many goals?
2: He scored four in the last three games, six for in Brazil, the last seven for Brazil. So, and so
1: Philippe expects him to start in you, front of you, Gabriel Jesus. You, you don't make the rule by the exception, you know, the fact that he scored four in the last goal. This is his biggest and best ever. You know, hall in the whole of his life, you know, and so at the right time he scores four just to get in the team. And now Brazil's going to lo- lose the World Cup if they use him as their center striker. Well, I don't know. They're
0: playing Serbia for like the twelfth World
1: Cup in a row. They should do okay at least yeah, in the group fine. stage. We're fine. We're <laughs> fine. <laughs> oh, you got to be careful about those. Uh, you know the the Brazils of the Balkans com- countries. Brazil, France. <laughs> of hey, you got to be careful. Don't France, ever underestimate France them. won the got World Cup.
2: Player. France won the World Cup with Giroud playing up top. He didn't have a single shot on goal. Didn't even score, we're not even going to talk about it. But he didn't even have a shot. So where are the goals going to come from? Neymar? Huh? Neymar scored? Neymar, Vini Jr., Anthony, Rafinha. I have a list. There are nine, nine strikers <laughs> I can give you that. It's fantastic.
1: Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about the state of your hair this morning. I mean, you know, look at hey, the he's here, of your hey, hair. hey, he's here. I mean, he's yeah. <laughs> here. Oh, it's better than last week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's here. At this point, last week, you and I, was I are Twitter hey, For the people that are actually going to watch this, you know, drop your head so they can see the back of your hair and, the, you know, that, 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 that bird's nest that's hanging off the back of your head. <laughs> it's my charm. It's your charm. You've lost all credibility now. You know, anything you say about Richarlison is going out the window with a haircut. Like I, I'm that. curious, though. Where's, Richarlison's obviously Brazilian. Where is he from?
2: He's from a tiny from town. Kansas city. He's <laughs> from a tiny town in uh Minas, which is uh, the third biggest state. And what what's his background? Where did he, so see he's
1: he's not a, he's not a Brazilian. He's a tiny town player. He's not a city <laughs> favela player. He's giant which player. explains a lot. Actually, he's I got actually, some English size to. To be him.
2: honest, I don't know if he's from a tiny town mm. or he's from the city. To be honest, I I I'm not so sure. We haven't. Sorry, <coughs> sorry, listeners of uh, Coach uh, Inside the Box. I know we have he's not, not dug deep into Charles. I know. Youth. I know. I can I can look it up. But I know he's not from from Rio. We, what we do uh,
1: know is he he should be. F- Pulling an Amish cart, not, <laughs> <laughs> not, not playing for Brazil in the World Cup. First
0: off, all the listeners, did you guys notice how Andy pronounced Amish? <laughs> he should be pulling an Amish cart. <laughs> it's better than saying
1: Hamish. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so hey, last episode. Hey, 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 before we get into okay. anything else, uh, I've, got some, I've got some jokes for you. He's got a lot of things, oh, guys. Oh, boy. Well, uh, this, 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 okay. Why wasn't Jesus born in Brazil? This is topical, World Cup stuff, right? Uh, um, I don't know. He couldn't find three wise men or a virgin. (laughs) 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 What what are the first three words in every Brazilian cookbook? Yeah, I don't know. Steal a chicken. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's not, that's not cool.
2: I don't, I
1: don't yeah. There's probably people in Brazil
0: that listen to this podcast.
1: Hey, this is for Philippe's benefit. You know, <laughs> if, if they're going to take it personally, steal the chicken. <laughs> still. What's the difference between a smart Brazilian and a unicorn?
2: They're both equally rare.
1: Nothing. They're both fantasy creatures. <laughs> and my favorite. What do you call a Brazilian footballer with a rubber toe? Mm. Roberto Carlos. Rub- rubber toe. Ru- <laughs>
2: That was so bad. That was so
1: bad. <laughs> that's why I saved it for last. <laughs> that's for, so that's for the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, and, uh,
0: none of them are listening anymore because we started the podcast with a bunch of jokes. <laughs> hey,
1: before we go any further, this is how old I am. It took me 15 minutes driving in this morning to find something that I liked on the radio to listen to, some music, you know. Okay. You know, Stevie Nicks, Thunder Only Happens. 15 minutes. I used to be able to go to like ten stations when I first came to Kansas City, yeah, and find young people's music, you know, that I liked when I was young, you know, and so it's it's hell to get old, man. I'm
0: yeah. I'm surprised you don't just listen to podcasts on the way in. That's but what I listen to.
1: But a moment ago we were talking about Richarlison, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's compare him to Patrick Mahomes. We're in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. What did Mahomes do? Did you see him on Monday n- or Sunday night? Oh my guy, golly guy gosh! I mean, a, you, you've got Mahomes who's the the absolute <laughs> genius, you know, with the ball in his hands, and you know, scoring a touchdown with you know seconds left left on the clock, and and then you know, extra two points, and you know, running for both of them, you know, and, and wriggling and faking and doing all these things. And then you got Richarlison.
0: Yeah, what they're pretty. They're, they're, there's not a lot of similarities there. I don't think. They,
1: yeah, you know, they, you know, the, the Brazil is sacrificing their genius. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the problem with the 1982 team. You know, they had all these wonderful superstars, and then they had a big donkey up front that you know that didn't get the job done Brazilian style. What was his name? I don't know. Donkey. Serginho Chulapa. Oh yes, yeah, that's why Xulapa. I can't remember it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing. He he
2: is he has been getting the job done because he's been scoring. Neymar One puts in, in front of the goal, he scores. So give the guy the jersey. He's One scoring. swallow
1: doesn't make a summer. He hasn't been doing it for forever in the EPL. He hasn't been doing it against a lot of these defenders he's facing in this World Cup. You know, yeah. so th- yeah, he, beca- because in England you don't get the service that you get on the Brazilian but that, national that team. The
2: EPL doesn't matter for, for for us. It what matters is what he does with the national team. How many. Brazilian stars were not even doing great in their clubs and they would come to the national team and get a job done. You look at the last World Cup, Pogba. Pogba hasn't played for his club team in 10 years. <laughs> and then that World Cup, he was the best player. He made everything happen in the midfield with Kante behind him and facilitated everything for Mbappe, for Griezmann up top. But he, he and ran the show.
1: He and will be doing it this World Cup.
2: Yeah, and that's why. Give us a trophy. We shouldn't even start this World Cup.
1: Oh, Argentina have got a good team. <laughs> but that, I, I've you know, it, it, you know That's too cocky. And they, they want Brazil so badly, the arch enemy. That's, that's who
0: I'm rooting for this year.
1: You know, it's good I, luck. Good luck. Know, and it's 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 kind of the the sentimental pick because everybody would like to see Leo Messi go out with a World won. Cup, yeah, wouldn't yeah. they? So yeah. the whole world is pulling against, against Brazil versus nobody Argentina. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah,
2: nobody. He, he's not. There's no charisma. there. Am I nobody? <laughs> there's no charisma there. You're. You, there's there's you're, no charisma. You're what do we
1: define as charisma? Not Messi. I mean, have you seen him with the ball at his feet? Uh, there's yeah, plenty uh, of charisma uh, <laughs> in that body Messi do <laughs> only a Brazilian can talk do- about Leo Messi, Messi doesn't and doesn't say do no charisma skill. Messi doesn't do enough skill excuse me Felipe do you even know what charisma means I mean you know <laughs> I've got to ask you that question <laughs> it's,
2: a, it's somebody that it looks always looks happy and gives people you know oh, that, happiness nah. and makes people laugh yeah. it's
1: boring charisma <laughs> can be deeper than that it's somebody that entertains yeah. the You know that really does things that people respect. That's you know the deeper meaning of charisma. You know, not the surface image-based. You know, know, he's no Neymar, yeah, but you know he's he's ten times better than Neymar. Yeah, but you know, yeah,
2: but he was born. In the south of South America.
1: <laughs> oh, the prejudices are yeah. coming out now. No, don't talk to me the about prejudices.
2: The, the Argentina one of the most racist people in, in the whole world. They Brazilian teams go play there in the Libertadores and they throw bananas at us and call us monkeys. So I I can't well, there's definitely appreciate no, them.
0: There's definitely no room for that. But I do need to share this because um, I got a, a friend of mine, a, a parent in the club who is going to the World Cup. Um, And he's going to all three U.S. games, then a a smattering of other games. And he sent me a text with his outfit choices, his outfit plans for each of the U.S. games, right? For the first game, him and his son, who doesn't yet know that he's going, uh, for the first game against Wales, they're going to dress up as Captain America. For the second game against England, uh, he's going to dress up as William Wallace, and his son's going to dress up as George Washington because those are the two biggest English butt kickers he knows. (laughs) And I just think that's fantastic. William Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he can dress was a time when I could do that. He can dress like Maradona. He can dress like Maradona. (laughs) That's
2: the biggest English butt kicker I know, Maradona. Maradona
0: would have been a good one. Maradona would have been a good one. That's a cuss word in English, Maradona. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a good cup. A whole month long tournament. I just can't wait. I
2: of, just can't uh, wait. Of, of,
0: and the game start at four a.m. I get up early every day and watch a game. I'm not
2: gonna sleep.
0: All right, Andy, you got something in front of you. Uh, is this the first clue in the
1: murder mystery? This is the uh, the read this to start piece. Okay. You know, and and environmental psychology is a direct study of the relationship between an environment and how that environment affects its inhabitants. It's kind of like Small Town and Richarlison. Yeah, no great players Town. He's going to score small like six and take home the golden boot. I'm, and our I'm, post-World Cup episode is going to be, be so fired. I will deliver so this far. podcast naked on my head if that happens. <laughs> well, I'm not showing up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Not but, coming. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sociology is the study of social life, social change, and the social causes and consequences of human behavior. Sociologists investigate the structure of groups, organizations, and societies, and how people interact within these contexts. These disciplines are aimed at solving complex environmental and societal problems in the pursuit of individual development and well-being. Most people do not like the idea that they are merely products of their environment. However, it usually describes the situation accurately. Our thoughts, emotions, actions, behaviors, and habits are mostly dictated directly or indirectly by the environments we grew up and live in. And the prevailing social attitudes... And habits of the people we live with
0: thoughts I mean I think that that's oftentimes what we talk about in terms of as we're creating environments in a culture for players to come in it's the context by which they interact with each other and how that how that elicits intuitive behavior that we'd like to see repeated over over and over again is that fair
1: yeah
0: yeah and that, I, I I mean, if 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 we talk and if we talk very specifically about, I think, some of my frustrations with more traditional coaching approaches that I see is coaches that that literally every single week are changing the activities that they're doing for their kids. Right. And so that there's never it never really creates any intuitive behaviors within the players. It's just a reaction to the games weekend, whereas um, there is no debate as what I'll be doing at training tomorrow night. It'll be one V ones or two V twos and that's it.
1: Oh, that's a great segue into this next piece i got here. It's like we planned this. Yeah, good job. You yep. know? And it also keeps Philippe out of the conversation, so that's an extra bonus, you know, when he's talking about crap like Richarlison. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh.
1: This is called Hunger in Paradise. When I deliver lectures on high performance to companies and organizations in the West, and incidentally I didn't write this, I often ask the audience the question, how can you create hunger in paradise? Most of us live very comfortable lives where we really don't need to put ourselves on the line to ensure our quality of life. This is not an environment that creates top performances. When everything is going to plan and running smoothly, it is only natural to feel the flow, to feel motivated. But when the going gets tough, it is important to have a horde of good reasons to get out there and do it anyway. Are you hungry enough to maintain your momentum at times when you least feel like making the effort? This is the paradox of motivation. The greatest payback often comes when you least want to carry on. And it is almost certainly easier to convince yourself that it is worth continuing if you are running for the sake of your family than if you are only running for yourself. A good example which we have already mentioned in this book is the British Lawn Tennis Association, which receives millions of pounds to develop world stars, but which consistently fails to do so. If the British LTA really wanted to produce great players, my advice would be to pull down the -the state-of-the-art modern facilities they own and instead build public tennis courts in Brixton. Brixton is one of the poorest London boroughs. If they dished out free tennis rackets and offered free qualified coaching to all interested children and young people, in 10 years I promise they would get the top tennis players they've been hankering after for so long. How to create hunger in paradise will be the billion dollar question in years to come, and I don't have the answer myself, but I do know that even the most spectacular training center cannot beat a meaningful burning desire to succeed. In the end, there is only one thing that counts who wants it most. And here's the book it comes from. This is the gold mine effect. And it is written by a gentleman called Rasmus Ankerson, who until recently was a director at Brentford FC in the English Premier League. You know, and it's a fantastic book, Gold Mine. Go buy it. So, so, so,
0: as I listen to that, the the the, the prevailing uh, point that seemed to be made is that is that players that are hungry are going to achieve at a greater degree than players that aren't, um, right? And so. I immediate and like uh, that's that's not something that's that it's not said before right like that's said often and, and, it, and it and and Brazilian players are are that's one of the many reasons that people suggest that Brazilian players play at such a, a high level is because they're coming from the favelas they're coming from nothing it's been said before when talking about American basketball stars that come from the inner city um, of of America's big cities wanting to achieve and basketball is their only way out of the hood right they might say. And while I actually – I think I I agree with that that premise as a a whole, what bothers me within the context of youth American soccer coaches thinking about it is that that's presented as like, okay, well – uh, the only way we're going to get better is if we go out and recruit a bunch of poor kids and 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 immigrant children and and put them in our in our suburban soccer houses and and teach them to play soccer because those kids are going to be hungry and the, the you know the wealthy suburban kids aren't going to be hungry enough and like that is a problem for me in as much it, as it it doesn't look it doesn't look through that 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 solution that Rasmussen points out, or we talk about through a lens of what we can actually impact, and how we as coaches in suburban clubs across America can 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 create environments that 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 reward or incentivize or help to create um, a culture of hungry. I want it right? If this makes sense. And maybe I'm getting too grandiose in my words, but when I, when I think of our 1v1 and our 2v2 environment, when I think of our dog eat dog, go after it, in the box, small caged field environment that we've created, it creates an environment where it, all the other benefits of creativity and whatnot, r- push those to the side for a second. It creates an environment where the kids that want it the most are rewarded. And within that, the kids that want it the most are rewarded, thus get the ball more, thus develop this 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 extra extra enthusiasm toward skill development, towards culture and the culture of really wanting it and going after it. And so we as coaches in America, it's not a you know, we can't just use the cop-out and say, you know what, I'm just going to go recruit some, or, you know, this is never going to happen in America because our poor kids don't play the sport. You know, bullshit. Like, go out and take your suburban kids and make them hungrier, right? Go out and take your kids that that, that, that that aren't hungry on the evenings and weekends at home and make them hungrier for the game because the solution is is creating a culture within our own environment to maximize what what is there in front of our
1: players. And, and this takes me back to what Chad Deschler said about the one-on-ones. You know, and, you know, Chad was, in my opinion, the best ever player to come out of the club, you know, and, you know, could have easily played a high level of pro throughout his his career, you know, but, you know, chose to, uh, you know, do his mission with the Mormon Church and, and play six years at BYU and, uh, you know, Chad describes the one-on-ones as, you know, incredibly developmental but gruesome, you know, and so you know we've got this cushy society and when we get the kids we can't keep it cushy yep. because they're already behind the eight ball because you know it's just too easy on them you know you know they can sit at home and do social media all day long you know and you know and eat the finest stuff you know out of the kitchen in the finest houses you know in the most complete luxury you know honestly in the world you know and you know we're in a, a fairly wealthy area of Kansas City Johnson County you know, the most wealthy area in Kansas City, you know, and, you know, it's comparable to just about every wealthy area in just about every other city nationwide, you know, and, you know, so what we've got to do is we've got to create the hunger in paradise, and we do, you know, our practices are hard. But when the kids leave our practices and wring out their shirts, they know that they've touched the ball a thousand times, they've taken hundreds of shots, you know, they're in an environment that's been created, you know, to build that hunger in paradise mentality. And dare I say it, the rest of the community has gone in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Because they go into these huge outdoor soccer fields, thirty-six
0: million dollar soccer plex,
1: and every kid is playing with you know thirty square yards more space than they they get in our facility, and they've got more time. They don't have to be as brilliant on the ball. They don't have to be Brazilian. They don't have to be from the favelas. You know, they are like Rich from a little town, you know, out in out in the boondocks, you know, who hasn't developed the skills you know, of the greatest Brazilian players, you know, and I've got nothing against Richarlison. He's just not a Brazilian player to me, the Mm -hmm. way that I think of Brazilian players, you know, and, you know, I don't see him as having the hunger, you know, And, and Philippe mentioned Gabriel Jesus. He's got hunger. The guy hustles, you know, Philippe said it himself. He goes after the fullback and he gives the fullback a nightmare. Richarlison doesn't. He doesn't have the hunger, you know because he didn't grow up in the the crappy you know places know,
2: hold on he grew up in the if you he being from the small town or wherever he is from, I know his story he he comes from the ter a terrible 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 environment had nothing he lived away from his parents since he was like twelve i think. Somebody in his family uh, died, and all that he had a crappy life. And if you look at all his interviews and his story, the guy is a fighter. He got he got rejected by a ton of clubs. Then he had an opportunity, took it, and you know. And he's a player that yeah, he works really, really hard. He's not the most talented, and that's why I admire him. He's not the most talented. Not the everybody can be the most talented and the most skillful. But he compensates with. A ton of effort, mm-hmm. and you know he has that passion. You know, you see every every video of every first game he played for the for for in the Champions League. First goal he scored. He's always in tears. You know, he's always like super emotional about it. You know, he he he's one of the guys that came from nothing.
1: If nearly so everybody so on so the he's Brazilian, f- he's Phil and Harry. You know, from Manchester United. You know, the two centre backs. I mean, you know, it's. <laughs> You know, so, yeah, he's got a ton of effort. You know, they're tough. They fight. They battle. They scrap. But they're not Brazilian. Yeah. You that's know? And and so that's why I think that, you know, Brazil needs to, you know, put somebody up front. You know, Neymar needs to lead the line. They leave out Richarlison. You know, they put in maybe one of the younger kids. You know, maybe they put in Vinny Junior. You know, to he'll be playing on the wing. To, he'll
2: be playing on the wing, most likely.
1: But you leave. What I'm saying is, you leave Rochelle out and you put some. You know, Gabriel Jesus. You know, yeah, yeah he doesn't even do it for me. You know, he's, he's putting. Well, be he's on the wing.
2: Putting, He's putting out of the guys the one who scored, who has been scoring the most. It makes James. sense. Yeah. But, but
0: but I I have a question for the audience, right? And this is this applies to Andy and Philippe too. But when was the last session for you listening? Um, in which one of your players or numerous players throughout the session ran into other players, not tackled, but like literally ran into players that they didn't see coming. When was the last time you had two or three kids walk off the field with a bloody lip? These are things that happen literally all all of the time at my sessions blood is a part of my sessions right and I don't say that from a perspective of the, the, the it's dangerous these are superficial wounds when a kid is running one direction and another kid running another direction and run into each other because they didn't see it coming because the space in which we train in the crowd is so intense that this happens uh Ryan Barberson, son Corwin Corwin plays for me Ryan and I laugh often but Corwin walked off the field uh this maybe a month ago with a bloody lip and crying because he'd didn't see it coming and he ran into somebody and fell over And uh, I'm the coach, so I'm the one that subjected Corwin to this this environment. And once Corwin was done crying, I walked over. I walked over to Ryan. Ryan um, was on the U20 Canadian national team. Played for Andy. He's two years older than I am, but Ryan's team and my team trained together throughout um, my entire late middle school, high school, until they graduated years. And there were numerous times when I was running just on a full on sprint, chasing down Jesse Baker in the corner during a two v two round, only to get blindsided by Ryan off my feet, a mouthful of dirt because we trained on basically a baseball field and have to get back up and Ryan was like six times my size That I walked over to Ryan and said well this may have been in my environment in which I created that for Corwin but I can remember numerous times where you knocked me off my feet when I didn't see it coming to Ryan's lap because Ryan recognizes the value of that environment um, for developing the hunger the the, the, the the want and so as a coach Listening is your is your space tight enough? If
1: kids aren't running into
0: each other without seeing it coming, space is too big. Space is way too
1: big. And, and what's really interesting about other coaches is we get vilified all the time because we're developing the quote unquote the pretty player. Mm. And what they don't understand is that uh, you know our kids. A, a not pretty. Oh, there's fistfights at practice every once in a while. Not at the nine-year-old level.
0: They push and scream. But like at the 16-, 17-year-old level, you'll see a fistfight. Oh, I've had side. to pull a
1: few kids off of yeah, each other you yeah, know, yeah. In, the, in the time. But, but, you know, they shake hands. They get sure, yeah, yeah, and teammates. You know, what's actually funny about it is the kids that actually, you know, swing the odd punch um, end up usually being the better friends mm-hmm. because of the mutual respect they have, you know, you know for, you know, going through that war coming out on the other side and then they will laugh about it, you know, and they'll be closer, Mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, they, they went to the ragged edge, you know, and, but, you know, let's, let's look at, I'm going to backtrack a little bit into how did all this happen on a worldwide basis? And this is really interesting is, you know, how, how did we, um, you know, get Brazil to be this, this world powerhouse, Argentina, and one of the things is, is the, and this is sociology, this is the, the influence of the mother country. Um, the English influence was massive. Where are all the best teams in the world from in history? They are all, you know, European coastal communities, Mediterranean coastal communities, or Atlantic coastal communities. And that's it. There's nothing in the Pacific You know, there's nothing in the rest of the world, you know, that has been consistently successful. So, you know, what we've got is we've got uh, these countries that traditionally develop great players and, you know, and, and they've got this ethos. They've got this sociology, you know, they've got the environment because people went into that country and started teaching them how to play the game. And so, but they've developed their own personal twists to the game. You know, whether it's the Italians, who are more defensive, or the Brazilians, who are more creative, or the Argentinians, who tend to be a mixture of the two. You know, they've got their own twists. But what was their attitude? You know, and it's kind of the Djokovic-Nadal attitude. One thing you can guarantee with Djokovic-Nadal and is they are going to fight you for every single shot. There's going to be long rallies and they're going to get gritty and they're going to dig in and they're going to chase every ball. You know, and look it up on YouTube. The rallies are incredible. Well, they come from working class, you know, areas of their country and a working class mentality, a blue collar family. You know, and you look at, you know, on the American side in the early days of uh, American men's tennis domination, the McEnroe and Connors. You know, and who were more blue collar, than McEnroe and Connors? The reason that they dominated Serena the scene, and Venus. exactly. You know, they were my next on the list. Yeah. You know, you stole my thunder. You know, and <laughs> well, you asked, I just answered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but Richard, their dad. You know, you know, he he. They they were from the dirtiest, you know, you know, ugliest if area. If you in haven't watched the Hollywood LA.
0: movie that came out a year or two ago, you got to watch it. You got to see it. It's yeah, so
1: it's just absolutely fantastic. So, you know, they they literally were, you know, playing tennis where gunshots were going off, you know, around the tennis courts, you know. So, you know, it, it's uh, you know, the greatest German teams came out of the World Wars, you know. They had the least privileged society after the World Wars. You know, the reason the Second World War happened was because of how the world treated Germany after, you know, it won the First World War. You know, it was a terrible place to live between the wars, which gave rise to Adolf Hitler, you know. And, you know, so Germany had this ugly society for decades and they produced, you know, that grittiness. You know, the the players that weren't necessarily Brazilian in nature, you know, that weren't incredibly skillful, but boy, did they get the job done. You know, every four years, they were there or thereabouts, you know, and have the best record in international soccer behind Brazil. You know, so you've got to respect that. You look at Marta, let's go to the female side of the fence. You know, Marta, you know, grew up playing with the boys. It was the only way that she could get a game. She loved the game and she was good enough to play with the boys. So she played with the boys the whole time and developed, you know, a a guy mentality you know, she'll hit you as soon as look at you. You know, and, you know she's, she's a fighter. She's a battler. She's got that blue collar mentality. If we go to England, we look at the East End of London where my Uncle Vic came from who played for Napoli after the Second World War. And you look at Jimmy Greaves and Terry Venables and Alf Ramsey and Rodney Marsh. These are all East End kids, you know, that were superstars in the English game, you know, because they came out of, you know, the, the dirty area the dirtiest area of the cities, Stanley Matthews came out of the dirtiest area of the potteries, Snow- Stoke-on-Trent, you know, Jack and Bobby Charlton and Jackie Milburn out of Ashington, you know, the coal mining communities, so you got Paul Gascoigne and he came out of a Newcastle coal mining community, and these these people were were hard people, you know, where do all the greatest Brazilian players come from? Yeah,
2: they all come from the Terrible areas. They've been exposed to...
1: All except for Richarlison.
2: No, it's oh, bad where he's coming from. He's <laughs> uh, Andy, not giving up. Uh, <laughs> no, he... <laughs> well, Andy show, might I'll, be right that I'll he doesn't show, like Richarlison
0: compared to other I'll Brazilians. Show picture,
2: I'll show a picture where the guy's from. The guy barely has... Water and, yeah. and asphalt in the streets, it's, it, it's bad. Anyway, he's got he's got
1: access to I, hair dye now. Though. I hope everybody nice. takes this tongue-in-cheek. You know, I, I <laughs> I'm really don't to. feel th- this way about Richarlison. I'm, I'm just using him <laughs> I'm as just a, a just foil. <laughs> and, to no. use you know, my son's term like, pops
0: off this World Cup.
2: I, I like the guy because the guy always plays with a smile on his face and he appreciates everything that happened in his life. You like he, the guy because well, he
0: scores goals and Brazil and wins. That and that too, I can appreciate that. That too. That
2: too. That too. But yeah, I mean, you look in Brazil history, I mean, very, very few exceptions, and most of the exceptions is because, you know, they were marinated in soccer somehow do a parent that played or something like that. Um, like Ronaldinho, for example, he's not from the poorest, 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 poorest era because his brother was a professional player, so their life was a little bit better because his brother was a really good player, but the kid grew up. In soccer, so game.
1: Um, and, and his dad played to a decent level as yeah, well. Yeah,
2: yeah. so the, it, it's all kids that that needed that. It's not that they wanted; they needed it. It's it's a different mentality. It's a necessity. It's it's what they develop since an early age. You know, ten, eleven. They know that they need that to save their family. So it's a whole different level of approach to the game that you know, obviously we cannot fabricate this to the kids here, and we don't need to because, as Andy was saying, especially in the generation that we are with social media and every, everything, information, everything super accessible, it's a, it's a more, let's say, laid-back generation, you yeah. know, and uh, these are the people you're competing to, so you can fabricate that. Even the the poorest kids that I've met here where we live they don't have the hunger because their life is better they come from you know a tough background or stuff but their life is already a little bit sugar-coated and i don't see the hunger that i've seen in my life you know in the environments that i've played soccer uh and so i think we f- if we can fabricate uh the hunger somehow and it's just basically our training if we demand our kids to in every training fight both sides of the ball back and forth get up get hit hit and bounce and play I think we're we're giving them a good chance.
0: Well, we we talk a lot about the girls' 2019 that Matt coaches, right? Rightly so. Fantastic, fantastic group of girls. Um, But there's some other teams within our club that are really heavy hitters that can play. And, Philippe, your 2009 boys can play. Um, And so, describe for us a little bit in terms of um, sure, it, it, the hunger that you see within theirs does not is not the same hunger you see in the favelas, right? Like, but comparatively to their to their peers, you know, here in in the United States, right? They're headed to Austin, Texas, this weekend for yep. a tournament. Compared to or for nationally pro, compared to that, uh, like what what does their sessions look like? Like because those kids are hungry.
2: Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of small sided games, one v one, two v two, four v four. You know, just they play a lot. There's not a ton of, you know, standing around. And they're all, you know, in tight spaces. They're all constantly fighting for the ball. You know, they're constantly arguing in practice. Um, and it's because they don't want to lose. Yeah. And it's yeah. – it honestly, it really translates to the games. And it's it's – for me, it's one of the most rewarding things. The last 15 minutes of the games – it's when I see the most amazing soccer, especially if we're down or we're tying. This year, we won two big, big, big games in, like, the last three minutes in the National League. One, we hit a upper 90 volley from outside of the box, like, a second left in the game, uh, and we were pounding the team for 10 minutes. The other one, we... <laughs> we went down one zero eight minutes left and then in the last five minutes we we tied and went up i mean and that team is probably if not the best the second best team in the whole midwest and we beat them two one and they went down one zero in the last eight minutes because the boys literally they don't accept losing when they're down they just develop, like, a mentality, a hunger of, like, we, we can't lose, we won't, we won't lose, and they all go crazy in the games. It's like they take, they take a, an insane amount of risk when playing, but it's not dumb risk. It's like they take those risks with so much confidence, that they just go for it and just start clicking and working and working and working. And they just, I mean, I've seen a kid, I'm not kidding, he got, our keeper came out on a breakaway. You know, my center back got fouled. The referee didn't blow the whistle. The same kid that fouled him was by himself. He was behind half, so it was an offside. Breakaway, takes a touch around my keeper and just taps it in. My outside back was all the way from on the other side. He sprinted like 40 yards, slid tackle. As that boy's coming in, he slide tackles at the post, saves the goal, and just smashes himself in the post. I'm like, that's just insane. That's just beautiful. They are, you just literally, you didn't accept giving up the goal. You gave everything you got. So seeing those things from my boys in those key moments and... it not always works right there are times that we don't get the result you know we tie we lose but like I always see that spirit from them and that makes me really proud and I take a lot of that credit to uh, the 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 way we practice because you know we keep score of things you know 1v1s 2v2s we make it a competition sometimes I You know, I give some punishments. Oh, if you if you if you lose the two v twos, you gotta do sprints or you gotta do push-ups or whatever. Just stuff to give them like instant motivation or something to you know, to for them to compete. You know, know that they won and you know have a consequence. Whatever. You know, I'm always changing what I do to motivate them. But I mean, just see them fighting every day in practice, it definitely translates to the games. So. My
0: 2013s on Friday nights, I'm following your lead, um, and we're playing the 4v4v4 game, right? Where I take the number of kids that I have show up to practice, I turn it into three or four teams, you know, winter stays, but it's fast paced transition. All the time. So, but we're doing it on Friday nights, right? Like it's it's a game, and it has that game level of, of 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 focus and intensity. All the parents are there on the sideline. We did it this first week, this first Friday night, and how it works is at the end of ten or twelve minutes, at the end of a round, um, the the top team. The way I'm doing it, the top team gets three points. Whoever scored the most goals in that ten minutes gets three points. Second place gets two points. Third place gets one point. Fourth gets zero. Then I mix up the teams and we go again for another ten or twelve minutes. These kids were ready to f- fight. I mean, tears, intensity, competitive cauldron. We walked out of that session like, and I was kind of stressed out, like how intense the session was, but we'll do it every single week. And the reason for it largely for the kids is that they know that I'm, I'm, it's a ladder. I'm tracking their, 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 their score at the end of every week. And then the next week I'll add it to it. And the next week I'll add it to it. And at the end of the winter, I've already told them we'll have a ranking and everybody knows exactly where they fit. These are eight, nine year old boys. Right. Um, and the intensity that these kids brought to the session was like nothing I've ever seen. And my sessions are intense already, right? And it just blew my mind. And so I'm eager to see where this goes when you stack 12, 15 sessions on top of each other. So,
1: so this is, you know, a, a bit of a tangent, you know, and the, but for me, there's a yes, but in, in there. And one of the things that I did with, you know, having the use of this facility with my teams that I did before the four on four games is I scheduled them to turn up an hour early. The parents are already going to be here. So, you know, it wasn't an extra trip. It was an extra hour of hanging around, but they like each other. So, you know, they usually chat and, you know, it's a a way to build a social environment amongst the parents that's a total plus and positive. But my kids spent an hour in the box soccer courts before we even took the field for, you know, the three on threes or the four on fours. You know, it was an hour in the box soccer courts and doing that consistently just absolutely you know, made the numbers of goals that we scored, you know, blossom, go up. Because, you know, in that hour they did hundreds of shots in the box soccer courts. Yeah. Hundreds. You know, and, and so, you know, that that was just absolutely incredible. There's a piece though, you're listening to Philippe, that that is incredibly important. And, you know, I think Philippe you've got a a high number of maybe uh, players on your team that are somewhat lower socioeconomically in Kansas City.
2: Yep. Right? 100%.
1: You know, so they come from the more blue collar areas, you know, than the most clubs in Kansas City. You know, and Matt's team doesn't have that same no, makeup. They're,
0: they're fairly fairly upper middle class.
1: Right. So they've won the national championship. They're currently, you know, 2009 national champions. They're undefeated since May. You know, and, you know, and only then lost against one of the top ranked teams in the in the country. And, you know, they're doing these amazing things. But why? What sociologically, this is what we're talking about. You know, what sociologically, what environmentally is their magic bullet, except for Matt, or, you know, except for Philippe with the team's? You know, and, you know, why is it that they've gone to the other level? And I've been spending a lot of time around Matt's team, and I think I've got the answer. They have a tremendous number of parents who played a sport at a very high level. You know, it's amazing how that, that dynamic, you know, is important and to what degree it's important. These parents get it. You know, they've 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 sweated blood in their sports to earn success at at the highest level. And maybe they haven't, you know, really, you know, delved into it and really thought it through. But because of their ethos, because of their environment that they grew up in, their sociology, they're in the mode of expecting more from their kids, of making their kids grittier, you know, making their kids, you know, give blood, sweat and tears to achieve the objective and that's what Matt's team has that a lot of teams that I've coached didn't have. Your team had it. Think about the parents that your team had. They were competitive baseball players, competitive football players, you know, track coaches. They came from a background of having sacrificed themselves in their sport. You know? And so that made your team all the more competitive because at home, the kids were you know, regaled with expectations from their parents, you know, and maybe sometimes too much. Jesse Baker talks about Doug and how, you know, his dad Doug expected too much of him. I'm not so sure he did. Why? Because Jesse Baker became fantastic.
0: And I, I, yeah, Jesse was. I I, th- I thought the best player. On so everything.
1: did did Doug make a mistake? The, 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 you know, I mean, I, the results were absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, but it's you impossible. Can know. All, yeah,
2: you, you can you, you can always say y- y- you would be better, you'd be worse. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can't you can say but it.
0: But I, I mean, I, I am I am really passionate about about parents on the sideline at practice or games, like releasing the kids to the field of play. Right. Like and, I, and I'm really passionate about play, parents um, pushing their kids or providing them a supportive environment that's going to push them, um, but not dragging them to the field. Um, I, I will say, Andy, that that what I have noticed is in the teams that I coach where the parents played some type of sport at a high level, those are the parents that are quite more quiet on the sideline. Um, Those are the parents that recognize that the field of play is where kids are going to learn. And so I'm going to find the right environment, the one that pushes them, the one that challenges them, the one that that has really high expectations of them. And then I'm going to release them to it. And I'm not going to be screaming and yelling at every every call that was made. I'm not going to be screaming at my kid to pay attention to this moment. Right. Because athletes that played at a high level recognize that there's in my opinion ups and downs and kids are and they don't freak out it's a marathon not a sprint and they know that the marathon isn't going to end for another 25.2 miles so let's not shoot all, all of our bullets now and, and i think that that matches up with a bit of what you're saying too
1: I'd be careful because some of our audience will take your comments there as 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 not coaching very much from the sideline and you know, as you know, no, the coaches should coach a ton from the sideline, right? The you parents know, should be quiet so the kids can hear the coach. You know, yeah, parents should be quiet and let the coach <laughs> be heard. I'm, you know, th- but there is the, never
0: a sideline that I am not the loudest coach on the sideline.
1: And me the same way, <laughs> and you know, I I I read all these articles about how you know you know it's, you know give the kids the game, hogwash, hogwash. You know, and uh, and here's why it's hogwash, right? You know, we need to understand the why. Is that You know, I have, you know, let's say all of my players turn up and I've got a full roster of 18 at the game. You know, I can shout all game long and only reach each individual for one 18th of the time. And they're telling me I shouldn't shout, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's always something I can be helping that individual with while they're playing, you know, and, you know, I can be asking my defenders to read the opposing player with the ball's eyes instead of looking at the ball mm-hmm. so that they can actually see where he looks and they can be two steps ahead you know in, t- in terms of intercepting that pass because they've seen the moment of recognition from the opponent and there's hundreds of these moments and the kids have to be reminded in the moment watch his eyes you know and, you know things like that or go for it be, be
0: skillful here, right? Like, and and exactly. But it, it, if you listen to you or I or many other coaches in our club coach from the sideline it's not joystick coaching it's not okay play it forward now okay now play the six okay now play the eight we're not playing the game for the kids but for me everything that comes out of my mouth is built around increasing the kids self-concept and confidence related to that they can do it right and holding them accountable to 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 a confidence that they should have right like if they're if they're if they're weak-minded in a specific game as players we all had games where we just showed up and like mentally like it just wasn't there for us Hold them accountable like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. you've got this right it's built around building their self-concept and that type of incessant coaching from the sideline particularly for youth is 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 so important and there's not a child psychologist in this world that wouldn't say that our youth don't need more enthusiasm and positive um uh, uh positive uh reminders um, they need they need more they, they absolutely need more and, and and the experts would say so
2: and like once once your kids grow and they start you know getting to an age that they understand the game and they learn the game because you taught them the game you yelled so much in the sidelines about things, different things in the game, giving them different ideas. Once they learn the game, sometimes I yell at my boys, and they don't listen to what I'm saying, and they do something else, and it turns out that it's better. They have the confidence to hear the information. Like, I remember a play the other day. We were under so much pressure. You know, the other team had just attacked. We won the ball, like, inside of the box. Ball came from one side. My kid... Won the ball back, all the space was on the the right side, and I yelled him to the kid to open up and go to the right side. He brought the ball back into the left side inside the box under pressure. But he beat a guy that was defending him and he found a split pass to the outside back way further in front, and he broke their line of pressure completely and he went theoretically the wrong way but he was able to find a little bit of space and made it even better from there boom we attacked and almost scored on a counter and I was yelling at him to you know go the other way which there was more space and he he heard me recognized that you know that was probably the smarter move but he saw something incredible and he tried it Mm. and he did it but he's old enough he has the confidence and he understands the game now and he's able to do those things so you're not when you're coaching a ton from the sideline you're not taking the game away from the kid you're giving them different ideas once they learn the game they will be able to in the split second have the confidence to you know do what they feel like it's right and i think that's the most important thing
1: uh, this is entirely on message here
2: by design we plan this out
1: I planned <laughs> it's it, i I pull things out as the as the conversation develops. you yeah. know it's a very loose plan <laughs> It's kind of like playing the game the yeah, way that that's we fair. play it that's fair, uh, yeah. so this is you know Daniel Coyle, who I think is absolutely brilliant, you know the talent code is a phenomenal book on how to develop. You know, an incredible ability to play whatever sport at the highest level. A key to cracking the talent code is what Coyle calls ignition, or the motivational fuel that generates the energy, passion, and commitment to deep practice. That's his words. The ability to partake in deep practice for 10,000 hours and operate at the edge of your capabilities throughout obviously requires an extraordinary amount of hard work. This is where the master coach, as Coyle refers to him or her, factors into the equation. A master coach ignites or inspires passion and commitment in their athletes. In soccer, it is through the realization that the game is the best teacher the game is the best teacher. You have to play. Coyle developed this insight while watching, and here we go again. It's that ugly word that pops up all the time. Coyle developed this insight while watching training sessions in Brazil. God, can't we get away from it? I think it was a session, <laughs> actually. He says, to stop the training activity... In order to highlight some technical detail or give praise would be to interrupt the flow of the attentive firing, failing and learning that is the heart of flexible circuit deep practice. Now, I'm going to stop this quote and then get back to what I've written here. But we do it backwards to most coaches because what they do is they come to the game and they don't coach, you know, and then they get to practice. And the poor kids don't get to actually get into the battle. They don't they're get stopped to, every ten just seconds. Because they're stopped by these idiots that think that they should be coaching in practice. When they had the chance to do all of their little tactical nuance coaching from the sidelines with individuals, even if it's saying, just do more, Andrew, just do more, do more. Yeah. You know, that's, that makes kids think, yeah, I've got to, you know, use my moves. I've got to, you know, grow my ability. I've
0: got to... To be specific. When he says do more, he means be more creative. Like, go for it. Like, make, make a mistake. Right. Who cares? Yeah.
1: Right. And, and so I added this part. This shows the importance of a captivating environment that ebbs and flows, but is continuous. That lures and traps, that probes and explodes, that weeps and roars, but never bores. You understand? And, And that's what Brazil does in the favelas. These kids don't go out. And, and you know do drills they go out and create they love with a passion the ball you know and and his the, the the final part of this is the beautiful game is the best teacher we have to in practice of course we teach them incredible techniques. We teach them the, the drag Maradona turn with a setup and a pre-fake and the move itself. We teach these incredible techniques, you know, the absolute uh, you know, pinnacle of the beautiful game. We teach them these things. We coach at the younger ages so they know these things. They know how to be a masterful artist. You know, but then we let them play. But then we keep score. And after a round, there's a consequence and there's standings and there's motivation and there's fights and there's grittiness and there's the occasional collision and and the occasional drop of blood. But nothing that in the long run does anything but build grit and the right character and the right motivation. Does that make sense?
0: A hundred percent. And it brings us to because Philippe has uh, comments practice here in a bit. Brings us to the end I'm of so this jealous. specific. I know. I'd love to go out and play. If oh, I would out, we could so get jealous. eight seconds in and I'd be like, <laughs> lame, pulled up. <laughs> I can't go anymore. Hey, guys, um, that was a fun episode. We'll finish with one last bit from Andy. But before we do that, I want to mention that our next podcast, our next recording, you guys may not have put this together. It's the morning after USA will have beaten Wales in the World Cup. Let's do, and England let's will do. have tied Iran. That's I'm calling it right now.
1: So. This this could be the morning after pill for the USA. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mean, this voting day, so <laughs> bringing
1: an abortion reference—why not? <laughs> <laughs> and we are in Kansas, yeah. who voted very much it, in favor. They of, did
0: of, yeah. of reproductive
1: rights for women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I've got you know a, a piece here that finish with this. So this is you know, if you like, the ultimate finishing message. If U.S. children are to develop individual skill to the point of international greatness, organized soccer programs will have to make the development of creative, intuitive skills paramount. Intuitive. Yeah. They don't think about it. It comes out of their ears. it got to happen in a split second. Yep. This is because American children as a whole... Spend less time with the ball than, for example, their Brazilian counterparts from the favelas. If U.S. children are to ever match the Brazilians in skill, organized programs are going to need a curriculum that is so skill-intensive that virtually every moment is more skill-productive than soccer training in other more passionate, less affluent, less distracted soccer cultures. Given less total time on the ball than children from other countries, U.S. kids need a coaching philosophy that focuses on the areas of the game that kids are passionate about. Those aspects of soccer that fit more skill learning into the limited time available than other countries. And what are those skills? Shooting, dribbling, and quick penetrating passing. More importantly... Our kids will need a creative environment that accelerates skill development and tactical speed so much that boys from the U.S. are able to compete with Brazil's favela geniuses or France's soccer court warriors. And girls from here can continue to go head to head with the new powerhouses of the women's game because... The U.S. national team is slipping and sliding, mm-hmm. and the rest of the world playing pro soccer at age 16, you know, is rapidly catching up, if not overtaking. So we're we're in a funny moment with the women's game, because we're slipping and sliding, yep, and we've never gotten there with the men's game. We've never been at the top of the tree. So, and I don't see us getting there for a while, unfortunately. As much as I'd like to see it, for the sake of soccer in America. Well, if anything, it gives, it gives space for this podcast to exist
0: (laughs) because we can create options and ideas and put forward solutions. Ones that are tried and and tested here uh, in Kansas city with our teams um, that can help, help, help the game grow in a way that it needs to from a cultural and environmental perspective. Uh, With that said, Philippe, don't be late to practice. They'll, they'll find you Andy. Thank you for another great. Episode. All right, thanks, uh, guys. I can't wait to actually solve this murder mystery here in the future. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.